Hey, I'm Karen. And together with my husband, I spent 13 years learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business. And now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering and that everyone, whether you've got a five acre plot in the country, a half acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hey folks, welcome to this week's Garden Talk Tuesday episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. And last week on the Garden Talk Tuesday episode, we talked about determining what you want to grow in your garden. So once you've made that decision, Uh, and you've figured out how many seeds or plants that would take, Um, you'll need to figure out how much space you'll need. So let's say our sample gardener, as a refresher from last week, uh, was an individual with a spouse and two younger kids. So we're saying, oh, the equivalent of three adults. And they decided to grow spinach, tomatoes, bell peppers, and green beans. We looked at the Missouri University Extension publication that tells you approximately how many of those plants to plant per person per year for fresh use. And it also has a listing in there for canning too, if you want to preserve. And I will link that publication in the show notes. You can use that as a determination, no matter what zone you grow in, it will, it will help you figure out exactly how much space you're going to need because it tells you the minimum row spacing that you will need for those plants and the amount of space in between the plants in that row. So a good handy uh, a tool to have, and this is going to help you figure out how much planting space you will need for your dream garden, okay? So again, we're talking spinach, full-size tomatoes, bell peppers, and green beans. And for three adults, we determine that you'll need two 15-foot rows of spinach, 14 tomato plants, uh, eight pepper plants, and about two 20-foot rows of green beans if you want to supply all of that fresh for those three adults. Now, if you lay all this out, and I highly recommend physically doing this on a piece of graph paper, right? Figure out exactly what that means in terms of space. But if you add all that up, it looks like our gardener is going to need about 600 square feet of growing space for what they ideally want to grow. For some people, that 600 square feet sounds perfectly reasonable. For others, that's going to seem like it's too big to start with if you are a new gardener. If that's the case, reduce the amount of plants to only supplement your produce needs. If you start too big and become overwhelmed, it may sway you from gardening the next year. So how do we lay out the garden? Maybe our gardener wants to grow all these plants but doesn't have 600 square feet of extra space anywhere. You know, maybe he or she lives in a condo or an apartment with no access to a plot of land. So we will talk a bit about the traditional garden and we'll talk a bit about alternative gardens. So the traditional way to lay out a garden right outside in the yard is to mark off the area, till up the soil, and get to planting, right? 
<laughs> well, at least that's what we did the first two years that we were growing our gardens. Uh, but in reality, the first thing that needs to be done is a soil test. If that, especially if that ground has never been used for gardening, or even more importantly, if it has been used for gardening before. Testing the soil for nutrient levels, pH level, and knowing the type of soil that you're growing in is really important. And we completely neglected this when we first started growing. And uh, it, we did great the first year. And then it really started to kind of go downhill from there because we didn't know what we were working with. Soil test kits can be found at any garden center or hardware store. You can find them online. They're fairly simple. They usually have four or five tubes with matching colored capsules that are usually less than about five bucks. Most of the ones you pick up at the store only contain one test. Uh, you can find tests online uh, and at other you know, garden centers that uh, contain enough tests for maybe 10 of each component. So you're testing for nitrogen, phosphorus, potash, and the pH. This may be helpful for you to have a test that contains multiple tests if you want to test several different areas before deciding on a spot for your garden. That's a really good idea. There are more expensive versions out there, but they're really not necessary for a home garden. Now, you can have your local university extension center tested for you. And you can go online. They usually have the instructions out there for what needs to be done or how you need to collect the soil and send it to them. And they will do a really detailed test, not just for the big three nutrients, but will also do a lot of your uh, micronutrients as well, including things like boron and molybdenum and magnesium and calcium. That'll really give you a good idea, but absolutely not necessary right away. Uh, if your garden plot is shy on any of those nutrients, or if it's not at the right pH level for what you want to grow, you'll need to work some additives into your soil before planting. And we will do a whole episode on soil amendments later on. Nutrients aren't the only thing to worry about in the garden area. The type of soil will determine how well the plants can grow and how much moisture the ground will retain. If you've got soil with a lot of clay, the way you prepare your bed will be different from someone with a very sandy soil, and it will affect what you can successfully grow. I will put a link in the show notes to the soil pyramid and a link to uh, how to test your soil to determine what type of soil you have. And that'll help you figure out what you may need to amend it with as well in order to sort of change the, uh, the composition of the soil a little bit. You want to pay attention to how much sun your garden area will get throughout the season. You can find light analyzers also in the garden centers. And that can help you determine exactly how much light you're getting in the garden at different times of the year. In spring, when you're first looking at that garden plot, the level of light may seem just right. But take a look around. Are there trees nearby that are leafless now, but will fill in later, which may cause an overabundance of shade in that spot? Or is it slightly shaded now, but as the sun moves higher in the sky later in the season, will it get too much sun? The best garden area gets the right amount of light for the plants that you're trying to grow, but not too much. So you should take into consideration the type of plants that you want to grow. What are their light requirements? In our example, the spinach our gardener is planting will only be planted on the shoulder seasons, the cooler times, usually spring and fall, in most areas. 
the best use of the sun during those early and late times of the season is important. The tomatoes and the peppers are sun and heat lovers, but the green bean plants can burn if they get too much. So pay attention to the light level marked on your seeds and your plants. It, it will tell you on the packet or on the plant tag whether they prefer shade, part shade, part sun, or full sun, and then you can plan accordingly. And it may be necessary to break up your garden plot. You may have a full sun area that you can take advantage of those heat-loving plants, and you may have an area that gets a little bit of shade, or you can do the leafy greens that prefer a little bit of a break from the heat. So once you've determined your soil type and you've gotten your soil nutrients and your pH level where you want them to be, and then you've determined where to plant what, check the soil temperature before you begin to plant. Soil thermometers are fairly simple and they're easy to find. They just have a long stem that you put into the ground and you, you're just trying to make sure that the ground is warm enough or cool enough to plant what you want to plant. Summer veggies like tomatoes and peppers will not get off to a good start if the ground is too cold. And then likewise, your fall spinach seeds may not germinate properly if the soil is too hot. Those are the basics about planting out in a garden in your yard. Now we'll talk about alternative planting spaces. So in addition to the traditional garden plot, you can grow your veggies in any number of other ways. You can choose these alternatives in order to save space or maybe to save your back from a little bit of work, convenience, or maybe because it's the only place that you have to grow. The first of these is raised beds. There are many benefits to gardening in raised beds versus directly in the ground. You can raise the beds up higher and make them easier to work with. And you can totally control from, from the start what's in the soil because you'll be filling that soil into that raised bed. You can also spread those beds out throughout your yard to take advantage of the best light at different times of the season for those different veggies. We talked about that with the traditional garden. The same thing applies for raised beds. And then you can test out each area for the level of light and start from there. There are numerous ways to design raised beds. There are plenty of pre-made kits on the market that you simply just put together and go. We've always opted for using scrap lumber to build our, to, to build our beds. Just be sure you're using natural wood and not pressure treated. Pressure treated wood contains chemicals that can leach into your soil. So you see a lot of these sort of crafts out there and ideas using old pallets. That's fine, but just make sure the pallets that you're using haven't been treated. Same thing with any, any wood that you're going to buy new or used. If you're concerned about protecting the wood so it doesn't break down over time, use something natural like tongue oil or linseed oil, or just use naturally rot-resistant wood like eastern red cedar or black locust. You can also use square bales of straw to create a border for a deep garden bed. Just place them out in a rectangular design and fill in the soil in the center. We recommend straw and not hay. Hay will break down more quickly during the season and usually contains seed heads that will cause grasses, aka hay, to grow in your bed. So straw is usually cheaper too. And the cool thing about the straw bales is by next season, they will have decomposed enough to plant directly into, which brings me to straw bale gardening. If, if you've ever had a bale of straw as decoration for the fall and then left it out all season, 
you can see the straw begins to break down and sort of compost on its own. This is perfect for planting. These bales can become little mini gardens for planting just about anything. You keep them bound up and then put starter plants or seeds in the short ends of the bale where you can sort of separate the layers. You may need to add some supplemental soil depending on the degradation of your bale. And if you're starting with new bales, you'll want to condition them first to get the decomposition going. And I can put a link in the show notes to uh, different ways to condition a straw bale. Of course, we always recommend organic ways of doing this rather than chemical fertilizers, but that's entirely up to you. Um, if you don't see the link or you just do a quick search for straw bale gardening, you will get all kinds of information on how to start this process. The most common is using some sort of nitrogen to start the, the decomp process. Using straw bales to garden in can make it easier to set up your garden than tilling or trying to break up soil. And in the end of the season, the bales can be broken up and used in the compost pile or spread over an area that needs some extra organic materials. So if you don't want to dedicate such a large space to a garden, just about everything can be grown in containers. And just about anything can be made into a suitable container for planting. You can be as straightforward or as creative as you like. We've used everything from standard clay pots to old farm implements and everything in between. Be sure whatever you use will not leach chemicals into the soil. For this reason, I don't ever recommend using old tires for growing anything edible. The chemical compounds can leach out over time and can be hazardous. So it's fine for decorative things like flowers and such, but I never recommend using it for something that you are going to eat. The good thing about containers is they can be moved. If it's going to be suddenly cold, the containers can come inside. They can be moved with the sun as the season progresses. So herbs and lettuces can be brought in over the winter to continue growing in a sunny window or with a little cheapy clip-on grow light. The possibilities are endless. About the only thing that can't be grown in a pot is sweet corn, unless you just want one ear of corn. <laughs> be sure the soil you use in your pots is suitable to container growing. Um, organic potting soil is the, is the best as far as we're concerned, but preferably one that is specifically labeled for containers. These mixes will allow the appropriate amount of water and nutrients and air for your container. Pick your container according to the size of the plants you want to put in it. On the tags or on the seed packets, read how big the plant will grow and give them the space they need. If you have your heart set on a container, that's bigger than what you need, then go ahead and use it. To save some soil, turn over a smaller pot in the bottom of your container to displace some of the soil, and it'll make the container lighter too, and it'll save on water. But don't underestimate the amount of root space that some of these larger plants need, specifically full-size tomatoes. That's why we always recommend, if you're gonna do them in containers, that you do cherry tomatoes. They don't seem to need as much space, but if you have your heart set on full-size slicing tomatoes, then go with a determinate variety, which is a more of a bush variety, and plant in the biggest container that you can manage. And we'll do a whole episode on that later on, specifically about tomatoes. You will need to fertilize and water container gardens more frequently since the plants will quickly pull all the nutrients and the moisture out of such a small area. Containers that are really full or in windy places will need water more frequently. 
So try to get your plants fully hydrated before the sun hits them. We recommend making or buying compost tea or manure tea rather than chemical fertilizers. Again, up to you. We will do a whole segment on amendments, like I said. You can also buy organic fertilizers made from natural ingredients, but just remember to keep feeding those plants. And then also be sure to clean the containers before the start of the next season. They can harbor diseases that may affect the plants the following year. And fresh soil is always best. Just compost the old stuff and start over again. Oh, and I will link in the show notes this article that I found on 20 creative ways to upcycle containers in your garden. It's another one um, that shows how to use old wooden pallets for a twist on container gardening. Again, try to make sure that you're getting ones that haven't been treated. We've seen a variety of ways to do this over the years, and we have used them ourselves. Uh, But Anne over at the Microgardener has compiled a whole slew of ideas, and there's tutorials, and there's much more about gardening in containers and small spaces. That's it. So you've picked out what to grow and you've gotten your planting area all figured out now, right? (laughs) So next we'll need to find seeds and plants. There are a ton of choices out there through websites and catalogs and home gardening centers and farmers markets. So how do you choose? Next week on Garden Talk Tuesday, we'll talk about the different types of seeds and the plants and where we feel like it's the best place to get them. Thanks so much for joining us today and we will talk to you later. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. I hope that listening to these episodes is really helping you understand more about how to grow and preserve your own food and growing an awareness of food issues around the world. No matter where you live or what you have, you can absolutely grow something.